Amen. Father, again, we thank you for all that you have done for us through Christ. And Lord, as we have saying to you that we boast in you, really we can boast in no other. Forgive us for those times we boast in ourselves, when we depend on ourselves. And yet we confess now that we boast in you because of your plan of redemption. We boast because as Christ went to the cross, he paid our complete bill. We thank you that we can be completely forgiven, that we're completely secure, that the Spirit of God has taken residence in our lives forever. Father, again, we thank you for these marvelous truths. Remind us of the fact that we are living stones because Christ is the chief cornerstone. That we are merely sheep in your pasture, that the Lord Jesus is the chief shepherd. That we are simply branches that produce fruit only if we are connected to the vine. And we confess that the Lord Jesus is the vine. That our very life that we have is because we are connected with the Lord. Thank you for putting us in Christ. And so all boasting goes to you. We seek to glorify you and exalt you. And may that truly be in our hearts. It's, it's easy to become selfish, Lord. It's easy to become self-centered. May we keep your program and your people in the forefront of our minds. Father, again, we thank you for your word. As we just sang, wash us with the water of the word. Wash our spiritual understanding. Wash our spiritual sight, as it were. Search us and know us and then reveal to us areas that need to change. And we think specifically of the attacks on Nehemiah by the enemy of intrigue and of slander. And if we have allowed this into our lives, either participate passively by listening or actively by saying, we ask that you would give us the, the gift of repentance and moving into a different direction so that we might honor you and we might be part of the body that actually builds the body up. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You like to turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. As you know, we've been going through the book of Nehemiah, and after chapter 3 of building the wall, or as the bill wall got, uh, was being built, he came under really a lot of opposition, a lot of opposition, and we're just covering the different parts of that opposition. Chuck Swindoll writes this of leadership, especially spiritual leadership. Quote, anyone who steps into the arena of leadership must be prepared to pay a high price. True leadership exacts a heavy toll on the whole person. And the more effective leadership, the the higher the price it will be. The leader must soon face the fact that he will be the target of critical darts. Unpleasant 
Though it may sound, you haven't really led until you've become familiar with the stinging barbs of the critic. We're going to be looking at that today, the critic. And he ends by saying this, good leaders must have thick skin. That's so true. And if it's true in the business world, it's so much more true in the uh, spiritual. It's so much more true when it comes to Christianity. And you say, well, why would you say that? Is that because you're a pastor? Well, no, think about what Christianity has to do with. We're seeking to advance God's kingdom. And he's doing it with sinful people. Because we're all sinners, right? I trust that those who are in leadership would be sinners saved by grace, but still sinners. And the world, John says, hates us. And our own flesh seeks to destroy us. And the Satan, obviously, is the, the main adversary. So you have these other forces that are working against God's kingdom. And in the midst of that, it is hard to be a good leader. And you add on top of that, Christians who are around you are also sinners saved by grace. So now you've got a compound problem. You know, it reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 4. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial which comes upon you to test you. As though it was some strange thing that happened to you. You think it's strange sometimes when you go under fiery trials? Lord, why me? Lord, why us? Lord, why? Don't think it's strange. I was thinking about 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Remember when Paul says, I I had a thorn in the flesh and I prayed three times and God basically said, no, I'm going to keep it there. But you ask the question, what is that thorn? Some people say a physical ailment. The interesting thing, it said it's a messenger from Satan. That word messenger appears a hundred plus times. But the idea is, it's, um, it's usually talking about angels. The word is angelos. And most likely, that messenger was a demon-possessed person that was dogging Paul's tracks. Now, I bring all that up to say, to try to wed those things together, that Satan is against God's program. Now, Paul said, God used that thorn in the flesh for good. Kept him humble. In fact, he even says, I... You know, I'm willing to go through all this because when I'm weak, then I'm strong, right? So even though it was Satan devised, as it were, or Satan initiated, or, you know, as one man said, the immediate cause was Satan, the ultimate cause was God. God uses this. It's hard to be a a Christian leader. It just is. Um. And so when we get to Nehemiah, and he's been given a task by God to rebuild the wall, the wall of Jerusalem, it's no wonder that we find for three chapters that he is in opposition to Sanballat and Tobiah and Gershom and all the others, right? That's not like, ah, that's not like, wow, I can't believe he's, you know, he has opposition to God's plan. <laughs> Satan in the world and even our own flesh always has opposition to God's plan. So we've been looking at some of this opposition. The first one, the first opposition came as ridicule in chapter 4. The uh, enemy's uh, tactics, it says in verse 1, they were angry and greatly enraged and he jeered at the Jews. That's the idea of jeered is mocking or ridicule or sarcasm or disdain or derision or contempt. In other words, trying to dishearten the Jews 
by just his words. By the way, you know what the response of Nehemiah was? He didn't retaliate. It says he prayed, and then he kept working. What a good uh, way that we should. Verse 4, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. And then he just kept on working. So, verse 6, we built the wall. (laughs) And when uh, accusations come, and by the way, this was plural. You You use the word, you see the word we. We, we, chapter 4, we, we. We were under attack. It wasn't just Nehemiah. It was we, the Jerusalem. The people of Jerusalem. The people building the wall. We were under attack. But you don't retaliate. You know, it's like Romans 12. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with what? If you stop the work, you've been overcome with evil. If you start to retaliate, you've been overcome with evil. By the way, retaliation... Not retaliating doesn't mean that you never say anything. It just means that you're not trying to get even. You're not trying to draw blood, as we're. Okay, so opposition by ridicule. The second one is opposition by discouragement. That's starting in verse 7. There's a collusion, a conspiracy. They're trying to, again, um, get him off track. You see some of the things they were saying. Uh, in fact, notice verse 7, the, uh, the, uh, the enemies grew, Sanbel, Tobiah, now there's Ar- the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites, and, you know, and uh, they just try to belittle and jeer at them and, and uh, discourage them through the conspiracy and, and through loss. You see that in verses 10 through, I think, 12, 13, um, you know, just by what is being heard, things like that. Well, what do they do? Verse 14, they remember, it says, Remember the Lord, do not be afraid, he's encouraging the people. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers. He does some things, gives them, you know, tool in one hand and, and the trowel in the other. <laughs> Keep working. Don't let the, the work stop. And some of them were actually holding the spears, so they were protecting their brothers, and there was a coordination of effort. We looked at that. Chapter 5 is another type of uh, opposition, but now it was inward. It wasn't by Sanballat and Tobiah. It was because the nobles were trying to get usury from the poor. And we looked at that for a couple weeks. We won't go there. Only to say this. Notice what's happening. Opposition from without, opposition from within. Opposition towards the we, the Jews as a whole, you know, by San, uh, Sanballat and Tobiah and the rest. And also now, opposition from within. You're always going to have that. You're not going to just, when you're, when you're doing something for the Lord, it's going to be opposition from those two directions. From without, from within. But now we come to opposition, a different type of opposition, because though it was the we in chapter 4, now it's just specified to Nehemiah. The leaders are going to try to get Nehemiah himself. And you see that because look at verse six, or chapter 6, verse 1. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Gershom, the, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, you know, he doesn't want to even, you know, the rest, they're out there. There are all kinds out there. Heard that I had built the wall. Now again, he wasn't trying to be boastful. He's just saying, you know, I'm leading the, this group. And that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Gershom uh, sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hekephirim in the plain of Ono. Wow. 
<clears throat> say those things three times. Uh, but they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. And why should the work stop? Well, I leave it and come down to you. And they sent to me four times. Now notice this. They were pretty persistent. <laughs> four times. Um, in the same way. And I answered them in the same manner. The opposition is different now because they're no longer going after the group. They're going after the leader. I think it was during the Civil War. Not the Civil War. It was the war with England. That um, Revolutionary War. You know, they started realizing, no, no, don't just kill the soldiers. Try to get the commander. Because then they'll disperse. Right? So, destroy the leader. Kill the general. The... Because you could say, well, these are the same... No, it's not the same opposition. Because now they're not going after the group trying to discourage them. They're trying to go after one person trying to destroy him. Again, Ono is about seven miles southeast of Jerusalem, if I understand the place proper, down near the coast. Seven miles. Now, just get it this way. What were they asking him to do? We're not going to come to you. We want you to come at a neutral spot, but just you. It's opposition by intrigue, or opposition by a plot. Come to this neutral territory, why? Because what's going to happen at that point? He's going to be separated. It's a trap. He wanted, they wanted to kill him. It wasn't about discussion. They wanted to kill him. Now, he's in a predicament in this sense. If he refuses to go, it would be said this way. Well, he was afraid to let the truth be known. This is what's always interesting when it comes to intrigue. If you don't do what I'm telling you you have to do, then I'm going to spread another lie. But if he went to Ono, Ono, he would be leaving the work, that's first, but then he would be playing into their hands. He would most likely be either kidnapped or killed. So he's in a predicament. He is in a predicament in verses uh, 1 and 2. You know, he kept sending, they kept sending, they kept sending. But again, he knows what's happening, the second part of verse 2, but they intended to do me harm. You know, there's some many, many, many illustrations of uh, others trying to do Christians harm from church history. A couple of them I'll give you. Uh, John Huss, the Bohemian reformer, was invited, this was back in 1414, to attend the Council of Constance to answer charges against him. He was promised safe conduct both ways by the existing emperor, so he decided to go, but in less than a month, he was seized, thrown into dungeon, and later was condemned by the council and burned at the stake in 1415. See? Intrigue. Come. You're just going to answer some questions. He did it by, because he believed the emperor's word. He was imprisoned and then burned at the stake. Boy, thankfully we're not being burned at the stake, right? Wow. The sacrifice of Christians. Another sacrifice was William Tyndale. The English Bible translator was living in exile in Belgium when he was invited to have lunch with a supposed friend. By the way, they're the worst type. No, they really are. Because, if, you know, if the guy says, I hate your guts, I'd like to kill you, well, okay, stay away from him. You know, I'm going to try to smear your name. Well, yeah, don't befriend that person. 
It's the supposed friend. But anyways, for John uh, or William Tyndale, it turned out to be again a trap. He was arrested, and several months later, in 1535, so again, 500 plus years ago, he was strangled and burned. They hated him so much. What happened is they, they put him on a uh, the, the tinderbox, you know, they stra- uh, you know, tied him to a stake and, and um, you know, the wood and lit it. But they hated him so much that as it was burning, by the way, it, it took some time. It wasn't like you just, you know, uh, you know uh, died of smoke inhalation. I mean, a lot of times your hands would burn first and, you know, it was, it was a somewhat of a slow process until it really got... And sometimes they try to keep the fire down, you know, just for that purpose. You know, let's really make it work. Um, but for him, the, the post had two holes in the back, and they, they thread a, I think it was either rope or wire, whatever they had. And uh, as he was burning to death, they actually strangled him as well. Because they hate, by the way, I tell you that not to be gross, but to be, that's how the enemy hates God's people. So what was his response? And, and this is how, by the way, I've been dealing with all these oppositions. You got the problem in verses 1 and 2, and you have the response in verse 3 and 4. I sent messengers, probably plural, I mean not plural, a number of messengers. I sent a number of them to them saying, I'm, I'm doing a great work. Again, not proud, that's not proud, that's just saying, hey, I'm doing God's work. I can't, I can't come down. Why, why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Now again, notice all the eyes. In chapter 4, it was the we's and the us's. Now it's the I, because the opposition has gone from the plural to the group to him as an individual. And they sent to me four times in this way, but I kept answering the same way. I mean, they're getting frustrated. <laughs> four times. See, the, the foes were persistent, but he was also persistent. Why? This is why courage breeds consistency. He was a very courageous man, and he knew that this is what God had put him to do. And I don't care if you ask me 35 times, this is what God has called me to do. He's not, it shows his courage that he stayed with the work and that he didn't. He could have taken an army and probably, but no, no, no. You can't always deal with all your enemies that are out there. You know what else this tells me? The fact that these enemies are now working on him that people need leaders. This is the principle of Scripture. People need leaders. Thankfully, in the body of Christ, it's not given to one person. Like a local church. It's unbiblical to think, oh, all these people need to be led by one person. Let's see, he'll be the pastor. You know what the Lord does? He says, you know, you're all sinners. You all need help. I like how Paul Tripp says it this way. He says, if Jesus is the head of the body, everything else is body. I love that. I probably told you that last week. It's like I've been mulling on that one for a long... Like, wow, that is sure true. So what does the Lord, the head of the body, say? No, no, you don't need one elder. You don't need one leader. You need plural. Now again, with this is a whole different situation. This is a wall, but among... Among the church, no, no, we need plurality of leaders, all the elders. But the simple point is this, people need leadership. If Nehemiah had gone to Ono and been, you know, captured or killed, it would have broke up the work. They need leadership. 
And so he protected himself in that way because he knew to get the job done, they needed leadership. I'm not saying there's, you know, a person is indispensable, but again, people, God uses people. So that's opposition by intrigue, plot, trying to destroy the work through the key person. And again, in, in the world, we don't see it as much here, probably will in a very short time, but in the, around the world, that's exactly right. They'll go into, uh, and around the world, people go into, the enemy will go into the church and kill the pastor. Oh, kill a few other people along the way, but, you know, disperse, disperse. Dis- and when I say pastor, I mean the leadership core. So that's opposition by intrigue. Let's end with one final one. You say, you've only been preaching for 15 minutes. Well, this is the lengthier one. Opposition by slander, because he gives more to it. Plus, this is where we find ourselves many times in America. Opposition by slander. What do you mean slander? Innuendo. Or, common vernacular, the rumor mill. Opposition by the rumor mill. Opposition, as the scripture would say, the murmurer or the whisperer. Or you could say the gossip. Oh, there is a lot of opposition to God's work through gossip. And you see that in uh, verse 5. In the same way, what do you mean the same way? Well, the same way they kept trying to get me to go down to Ono, well, something else happened. Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter. Now, that's, that's interesting. He didn't talk about the open letter before. But this open letter, again, apparently he was sharing this, but now he wants to make a point that it was an open letter in his hand, the servant's hand, and it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says this. Now, Geshem is one of the, uh, the enemy anyways. You know, so really what, uh, what uh, Sanballat is saying is, listen, this is really important. This has been reported among the nations, and Geshem also agrees with this. This is rumor. Now you say, why is it rumor? And I gave you three reasons. See, in other words, what are some of the characteristics of the rumor mill? What are some of the characteristics of a gossip? What are some of the characteristics of a person that gossips? Well, first of all, a rumor is noted for its, exaggera- is, is its exaggerations and inaccuracy. There's an exaggeration here. There's an, it's inaccurate. Well, how do you get that from there? Well, when it says an open letter, it means it's unsealed. By the way, to send an open letter to a dignitary showed great disrespect. The whole point was it should be sealed so that it goes from person who writes it to the person who needs to read it, nobody in between. He left it open, unsealed. That means they could open it and read it along the way. The idea was Sanballat wanted it to be read. He wanted it to become public knowledge. He was showing disrespect to Nehemiah, the leader. Again, back then, letters during that period were ordinarily written on papyrus or leather, rolled up, sealed, stamped. Take it to Nehemiah. He left it open. Probably with instructions. Tell people along the way what's going on. Uh, In a few verses, you're going to see what he was... uh, and verses 6 and 7, what he was implying, all of which was untrue, except for one little piece was true. 
See, it's, it's kind of like what he wanted is he wanted to start the process and get it going. Kind of like, have you ever played the gossip game? You know, have a circle and say something and tell a secret and then, then they tell the secret to the next person in secret and secret. And before long, it's, no, that's not what I said. Just after like 15 people. Well, the, the idea here was it would be exaggerated and the information would become inaccurate. But it would just be out there. It would just be accusations. And you do that, you do find that with rumors. So often it's inaccurate. Somebody says something and you know so and so is, and, and, be, and you can't ever track it, but you just know that it's an exaggeration, it's inaccurate. So it's, uh, that's the first characteristic. Second one is this the source is never declared or rarely declared. A gossip doesn't declare its source. Do you see what he says? It is reported. It is reported. It is reported among the nations. doesn't say what was reported. I mean, he tells a few minutes, but he doesn't say what nations. And then when he names the only name that's there, it's an enemy anyways. It's reported. I don't really want to tell you this. Could you please pray for this? <laughs> The source is rarely quoted or confirmed by another, or it's confirmed by another adversary. And you say, well, why is that? Why is that such a common characteristic of gossip? Because if it's declared, you can verify it and prove it. As long as you keep it in the fog, you can't prove anything. Well, you know. John, people just don't trust you. They've been saying that all the time. You know, I've had that thrown at me. Well, well, tell me who. Oh, I can't say. I don't want to say. If someone says that about one of our elders, I don't want to hear it. In fact, if you don't tell me, in fact, if you want to keep talking about it, I'm going to bring you to them, and you might be, find yourself under church discipline, because the last thing you want to do is rumor against the elders of our church. But that's a common characteristic of, uh, you know, the rumor mill is, is not, you know, it's, it's not declared. <clears throat> Why? What's the whole point, by the way, of this? The enemy tried to discredit him by creating a scandal. That's the whole point. Like, it's common knowledge and of this, and, and this, is, this is who you are. In fact, they're even trying to get at his motivations. It's very damaging. Very, very damaging. And finally, the third thing I want you to see about the rumor is that it is designed. Now, underline that word, designed to hurt. By the way, these three things were a swindle. That's why they're in quotes. They were designed to hurt and destroy. They were, meant to, they were meant to hurt. They were meant to create misunderstanding. Swindoll ends his little thing on by saying this, I am personally convinced, and I am too, by the way, that's why I'm reading this, that the number one enemy of Christian unity is the tongue. It's not drink, it's not drugs, it's not immorality, it's not some other sin. It's the tongue. I don't know if this has anything to do with this particular point, but I like this story. Um, John Wesley was preaching, and a woman came up and like, you know, da 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 and, you know, I don't like your tie, I don't like your tie. Could I cut your tie? It's too long, John Wesley. And he said, yeah. He said, I will allow you to cut my tie to this, the length that you would prefer if you allow me to then use those same shears to cut your tongue to the... <laughs> yeah, you get the point. Um, See, people who spread rumors invariably display, really, a lack of wisdom. 
Wisdom forces a person to ask such searching questions as, is it necessary to say this? That's a good question. Is it really necessary? Do I have any right to pass this on? Another question, will it build up? Does it glorify God? Does it serve His purpose? Am I sharing this because, and this is a real good one, of personal sin? Because a lot of times it's shared because of sin. Anger, bitterness, ungodliness, you know. So again, it was, it was sin because of how they were doing it, right? They were trying to destroy Nehemiah for their own purposes. I think of Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. Six things the Lord hates. What? Seven are uh, abomination to Him. What are they? It's interesting. If you look at this list, how many of them refer to things that you find in destructive speech, destructive gossip, slander? First of all, haughty eyes. Haughty eyes means I'm better than. That's found there. A lying tongue. That is for sure found there. Hands that shed innocent blood could be found there. Oh, verse 18, a heart that devises wicked plans. Why? Because from the mouth, from the heart, the mouth speaks. Wicked plan. John, you're being kind of strong here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It does a lot of damage to the body of Christ. How about go on? Feet that make haste to run to evil. Oh, can I tell you? A false witness, for sure, and one who sows discord among the brothers. Out of seven, seven, (laughs) you can at least identify easily five of them, possibly six. Lord hates. By the way, if you go to verse six, since you're there, look at what this open letter contained. This letter basically said, and it was open so that everybody would know, that Nehemiah was plotting treason and that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. By the way, that is why you're building the wall is the only truth of this whole whole letter. That's the only piece that's true. They were rebuilding the wall. But everything else was, no, it wasn't treasonous. They weren't trying to rebel. The The wall was not being built so they could rebel against the Persian king. And look at the next part. And you wish to become king. You see what they're saying? You're building this to rebel and you want to be the king. See, your motivations are wrong. You're trying to be the king. No, that's not what it was. And look at verse 7. And he was also being charged that he was bribing or paying some other prophets to say the same thing. And that you also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. In other words, you're saying to the prophets, now I want you to proclaim me as king. That there is a king in Judah. And the whole point of Sanballat's purpose in doing this was this. The letter was supposed to get around to the people. They were going to start talking. The enemies were going to multiply. Oh, they're, they're going to rebel. And Nehemiah wants to uh, uh, become king. And, and you know what else? He's actually got the prophets on his side. And what was supposed to happen was this. If this is Jerusalem, it was supposed to go back all those hundred miles back into the ear of the Persian king. Because Persia would not have... If the king found out that Nehemiah was trying to rebel, because Jerusalem was a... You know, they had rebelled in a lot of, with a lot of other kings. I mean, that's why Nebuchadnezzar finally destroyed them. 
he would have come in with the Persian army and said, no more, wall done, right? Most likely, by the way, at this point, Nehemiah probably even sent messengers to the king explaining this situation. See, but the point I want you to see is the slanderers pretended and portrayed themselves to be right, the righteous ones. See, they meant that, you know, you shouldn't be doing this, Nehemiah. You, you're trying to be, you know, you're trying to be the king. They, they, they portrayed themselves as the righteous ones. The protectors of the right. I.e., we have exposed your sin, Nehemiah. And that's why they say in the last part of verse 7, And now the king in Persia, that's in Persia, will hear of these reports. So, so now come and let us take counsel together. See, do you see what? Oh, we are just really... Nehemiah, we are just really concerned about you. They weren't concerned about him. They wanted to kill him. He was in their way of money because once Jerusalem got settled, you know, as far as established, roots would go through Jerusalem, not Samaria. Their economic... Uh, advantage would be destroyed. It was all about economics. So we see a little bit about the rumor mill characteristics. How about question number two? What is the, what is the refuse, the dung surrounding the slander? Now I'm going to go to the New Testament just for a moment. You want to turn Ephesians 4.30. Now you say, boy, that's kind of a strong term, refuse. Well, I, in my, my notes, I don't think on your notes, I, I put the word dung Manure, probably I could get more graphic, I won't. The point is, is that this is uh, from the pit of hell. Boy, you're pretty strong. Well, let's see what uh, Ephesians 4 says. See, the person that does this is actually playing into the hands of Satan. Chapter 4, verse 30, and do not, what's the next word? Grieve. The word is uh, present imperative, which means it's a command. Don't ever grieve. Present means continue. Never grieve. The, and by the way, the word grieve means sorrow or offend. This, what he's going to talk about in a moment is, is sorrowful to the Holy Spirit. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Why? By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He is in you. He is the one that is uh, securing your salvation to the day you meet Jesus Christ. But then, he, then Paul talks to the Ephesian church. By the way, the Ephesian church was a good church. They were like the hub church of uh, Asia Minor. Seven churches of uh, Revelation. Ephesus. Ephesians. He is talking, by the way, to Christians. He's not talking to the unsaved. He is talking to... Because he just said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed. But then he tells Christians this. Let all... And notice the, the dung... <laughs> The pit, it's almost like, I, I, when I read this, I always think like this. Like I'm actually peering into the fires of hell. Or peering over into the, the dung hill. Where they would throw refuse. That all bitterness. Hebrews says that bitterness is a root. It keeps growing. That smoldering resentment and brooding and brooding over a grudge. That's what that is. Some of you are bitter. It's unfortunate because it's, it's destroying you. And wrath. Wrath is a wild rage. It's thumas. It's the volcano that... <laughs> By the way, it needs to do that. Otherwise, it just keeps building. But then 
you know that it's going to happen again. And then, uh, so wrath, and then anger. Anger is that internal. See, these are the things that set you up for what's coming. Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. Clamor is public outburst. Then we come to the word that I'm looking at, slander. See, opposition by slander. This is the word I'm really looking for. But it's interesting how it's couched between all these other words of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. And you find that when it comes... You find all that stuff wrapped up in slander. Slander doesn't just happen. It happens because a person is bitter and wrathful and anger and usually speaks a lot. (laughs) Uh, Slander means... Uh, to injure character, to injure a good name, and it's from a bitter heart. It says, be put away from you, along with all malice. Malice. Malice means this. It's just a general term. It's most, I think, general term of all five or six of them, and it means evil intended to do harm. Evil intended to do harm. Do you see why I said that this is the refuse surrounding slander? Like slander, which is, the word is blasphemy. Blasphemia, that's the word slander. Blasphemia means, whether you're doing it to God or to another person, it means that you're trying to slander or or cut down on the person's character or his good name. You can do it towards God, or you can actually do it towards a person. That's the opposition. By the way, that's the opposition that they were trying to do to Nehemiah. You're a rebel. You're trying to get your own kingdom. You're trying to be, uh, rise up against the king of Persia. You, you're also a liar because you're, you're actually, and, and, and a deceiver of people because you're hiring others to, the prophets to, and, and those are common characteristics. That's what, try to get a group, you know, try to, it's from the pit. What's sad about gossip is it's hard to, even if you repent of it, it's hard to, to get the words back. It's kind of like I've said many times, it's like toothpaste in a, and the tube, you squirt it out, it's hard to get it back in. Or the story is told of a peasant who slandered a friend. On discovering that what he had done was untrue, he went to the village priest for help. Now again, this was back in the Middle Ages. The priest told them to take a bag of feathers and place one feather on each doorstep of his community. <coughs> Probably because he had told each of those people about this other person. This he did in return to the priest, announcing that he had completed his penance for sin. Now again, this is a Catholic illustration, right? But the priest sternly ordered him to now take his bag and pick up each feather he dropped. When the man replied that by this time the wind had blown the feathers away and they were irrevocably or irrecoverably gone, the priest reminded him that words are like feathers. Once they are dropped... And that easily, it is impossible to get them back. Can't get it back. That's, what's, that's why we have to be very careful what we say. Very careful. By the way, I'm going to turn this because, uh, and I know I only have about five minutes left, but I'm going to turn this discussion on the leadership of the church. Because again, not just with Nehemiah, but I, as I was studying it, I thought, wow, you know, let's make it practical where we're at. Third question is this. Not only how does, what does a rumor look like, characteristics and looking at the refuse, the dung surrounding the slander out of Ephesians, but let's ask this question. How do you approach a potentially sinning leader? 
a leader, just a leader. Because that's what, you know, that's who they're approaching, Nehemiah the leader. Well, let's do it in the church, though. Let's say, how do you approach a sinning, or a potentially, a very important word, potentially sinning leader? And to do that, we have to go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. How do you, how do you approach a potentially sinning leader? Got to be careful here. Because there's a real balance you have to play. First, first thing we have to realize is this. We have to be cautious. You have to be cautious when you receive an accusation against a leader. By the way, in the context, it's elders. But I would say this, whether it's a deacon or an elder or a Sunday school teacher, this principle still, these principles still play out. God has a very high standard for church leadership. But in doing that, sometimes you can wear the mark almost too big. You'll see what I mean. Be cautious. Look at 1 Timothy 5.19. Don't receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Or do not admit a charge. That's what ESV says. The word accusation means a, a public meeting against. In other words, an accusation that goes public, public being from one person to the next. One man said this, a high degree of caution is in order because pastoral leadership is a calling that depends on character. If you don't, have, if you don't maintain your character, you can lose everything in your calling. Next to your life in Christ, your character is your most valuable possession as a Christian leader. By the way, remember that, guys. You young people, you college students, your character is your most important possession. Don't just throw it out. Protect it. Be very, very careful. You adults that are older, 20, 30, 40, remember that your character is your most important possession. Especially you leaders, be careful. If he is unjustly attacked, his ministry will be destroyed. The point is you can't allow unjust attack. I think sometimes this is where gossip destroys. Well, I really think that so-and-so... Whoa, 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 whoa. We've got to be cautious. Number two, be protective of the leadership against false accusation. What does he say? In command form, do not receive an accusation. Do not receive. This is a really good quote, and I don't even know who said it. I wish I knew the book it came from. It says this, quote, Church leaders are highly visible and therefore tragically vulnerable to the actions of the rebellious, the disobedient, and the gossipers. Boy, that's true. Highly visible, tragically vulnerable. And then he says this, whoever it is that writes it, he says this, four things. Those who reject their teaching, I think of some of the teaching at Alfred Allman. I, I remember a few people that left when I taught on, um, and we believe this, on the role of men and women. And it was okay when I did the role of men, but when we came to the role of women, the person said, my wife's not going to listen to you. We're out of here. Which I thought, wow, that's really telling. (laughs) Reject their teaching, those who reject their teaching, or hate the authority that the person represents. That's That's leadership right there. The authority he represents. Or despise his virtue, or scorn his counsel, may seek to strike out at the leader. Wow. And by the way, notice all those things have to do with God. I mean, teaching God, 
hate his authority from God, despise his virtue from God, scorn his counsel from God's word. So we just have to be very careful. Don't receive. Don't the word receive means to consider in your mind. Don't don't allow it to no whoa 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 whoa. Because we have to be cautious, we have to be protective. Finally, we have to be sure. We have to be sure. I'm going to cut. I just canceled all the good part of my message right there. Isn't that easy? <laughs> be sure. Except, except from two or three witnesses. Except from two or three witnesses. Don't receive an accusation except by two or three witnesses. It's not like a one-on-one. And that goes back to the Old Testament as well. Deuteronomy 19. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses that shall be established. So it's very it's Old and New Testament. Why? Why? This is why. I love it. Write this down if, if I didn't write it down. Proverbs 18.17. This is why. Proverbs 18.17. This is what it says. This is so practical. The first one to plead his cause seems right. Until his neighbor comes along and examines him. The first one seems right. Have you heard about so-and-so? I just am really concerned. We need to pray for... But this is what the situation... He seems right. Until a neighbor comes along and cross-examines him. Wait a second. Half of what you just said was wrong. That's why it seemed right. Nah, two or three witnesses. I think when in my earlier years, I wasn't as careful. I remember people coming to me at the time I was a youth pastor, associate pastor, and maybe telling me things about another leader, and I would listen. I wouldn't do that anymore. Oh, is that what you think? Is that what you think? I, I, we need to have a meeting, and I want you to tell that to the person you're talking about. No, I, I, no, I really don't want... No, 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 no. You've passed that boundary at this point in the game. Because you've already mentioned his name. Now Now you have one of two choices. You can either do what Scripture says, or now we will have to come to you. I would suggest you go to them. Right? Are we serious about the unity of the church? Oh, you're pretty harsh, John. I don't know if I can be here. Well, I love you. Never listen to the gossip about leaders or even a, a serious accusation if, only one, if it only comes from one person. All charges must be substantiated by two or three. Why? Because the very integrity of the elder, the calling... By the way, I'm not talking just about me. I'm talking about elder, deacon, leader. I'm even talking about Christian. I really do believe what Swindoll said is correct. It's the number one destroyer of unity. We talk. It's so easy. We get frustrated with a doctrine. Why does he do that? Maybe if it's even jealousy over what someone else has. And we talk. And you know what happens? Destruction. And, and, and we wonder why God is not blessing our lives. And I, we don't have the peace and joy of God. And he says, well, you're destroying my family. Why would I give you peace? Isn't that true? It's a very serious crime <laughs> against God. Now, by the way, let me close out two final things. How do you deal with a sinning leader? See, because I don't want you to get in verse 19 thinking, well, okay, so they're above the law. No, 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 no. Verse 20, those who are sinning, those who persist, that's present tense. Rebuke, that's the command. That's the main command right there. Rebuke in the presence of all. What do you mean all? Elders and congregation. Do you hear what that says? 
You bring two or three witnesses. If it's a f- confirmed and he is not ready to repent, he's not willing to, you bring him. It is a harsh judgment. They used to call it, what, deflocking? I think. Why? So the rest also may fear. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice. This is 1 John 5.21. Doing nothing with partiality. See, I could never do it this way. And I'll use Bill because I'm a good friend and there's nothing there. But I could never say, well, Billy has a lot of problems. But, you know, he's a really good friend. No, no, no. You do this across the board. And Bill should do the same thing for me. If I'm found in sin and unrepentant, he does that for me. Why? Because the whole point is not my friendship with him. It's the purity and the um, protection of the body. So, in fact, I'd have to rebuke him for not rebuking me. Why? Because that's what he, right? You don't do it with prejudice. You don't say, well, he's, you know, I've been with Bill for 20 some years. I couldn't do that to Billy. Or Bill says the same thing about me. No, it's about the purity and the protection of the body. Just very quickly, let's get back to how Nehemiah, how did he, re, how did he receive this truth? How did he, what did he do in response to the slander and the gossip when it was thrown at him? He first of all called it a lie. This is one area I, ne- I never used to do. Ah, just take the hit. Someone, just take the hit. He calmly and directly denied the charge. The point is he did respond to the charge. Verse 8, Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done. He just called him a liar. You're a liar. Nothing like that's been done. I'm not trying to lead a revolt against Persia and get my own kingship. That's... He called it a lie. He did it calmly. He did it directly. He denied the charge. I've learned from Nehemiah this week. Okay, got it. Got it. You can say that much. Can't retaliate. Can't take your own vengeance, but you can just say that's wrong. How about number two? He spoke the truth. He put the blame where it belonged. Verse eight, second part. For you are inventing them out of your mind. It's a figment of your imagination. That's truth. You're a liar. And you're a deceiver. That's basically what he's saying. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking that their, that their hand will drop the work. That's what they're thinking. It won't be done. And then finally, he prayed and he trusted. He took his hurt to God and he kept on working. And this, look at the prayer. But now, oh God, strengthen. That's, that's in the intensive form. Strengthen my hands. He didn't stop the work. The whole point was to stop the work. If he had done everything else and stopped the work, but he says, Lord, just strengthen my hands for the work. (laughs) I don't know where you are. I hope you don't find yourself in the point of the slanderer. If you do, you need to confess it. You need to see it's from the pit. God has very clear direction. But the other thing is this. You might be the one being slandered. And you know what? Sometimes we can be overcome by evil. We stop doing what God wants us to do because our minds get so focused on what I've heard I need to protect myself. You know what Nehemiah says? You're wrong. That's a figment of your imagination. Oh God, please just strengthen my hand. And for some of us, it's that third thing we need to do. Oh Lord, let me accomplish my responsibilities for what God, you have called me to do. And not be constantly thinking. Have you ever been at this point where every time you have a quiet moment, that person's face comes into your mind? Lord, let me stay on task.
Have you ever committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Received Him for forgiveness of sin? I trust you have. That's where, the, that's where forgiveness is found, right? That's where peace is found. That's where joy is found. But if you have, and you're a true believer, how do you fight opposition in your life? How do you not grow weary in well-doing? Let me close with one little bit lengthy statement, but this is for you, Christian. Bottom line is this, you preach the gospel to yourself. Personal security comes from our relationship to the three persons of the Godhead. Our relationship to God the Father gives us a sense of belonging. After all, we are members of His family and are secure in our father-child relationship. In Christ, we have belonging. Our union with Christ, the Son, gives us a sense of worth. God the Father loved us so much that He sent His Son to die for our sins. With our redemption redemption accomplished, God has made us joint heirs with Christ. This shows our value, that we are, have worth. We have belonging, we have worth. Finally, the Holy Spirit's indwelling empowers us. We are made equal to the task. As one man said, we are competent. We have belonging in God's family. We have worth because we are in Christ. And we have the ability because the Spirit of God is working through us. That's how we do not grow weary in well-doing. A person whose life is anchored on these three fundamental relationships will be able to stand against all hostile attacks. As we say often, preach the gospel to yourself. All that you have in Christ before the Trinity. That's where you get strength. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for these reminders. Help us to be strong. Many of us perhaps have at times, and maybe even at this very moment, grown weary. Lord, remind us that we belong. Lord, remind us of our worth. Remind us that through the Spirit, the strength that we have. Help us to run well so that we can finish strong. Father, again, we pray that this word that we would be doers and not just hearers. And I pray specifically for those who tend towards gossip. They might see the severity of the sin and that you might grant them repentance. So they might sense the peace and the joy that only you can give. That this church and the universal church would become more and more unified as we work together. And finally, Lord, we just ask that you would protect You would protect the leadership of this church, whether it's the elders, the deacons, the Sunday school teachers, all that seek to serve the people of this church and the people, the the men who are the leaders in the homes. Lord, please protect us. There is so much that can destroy us, our character, our integrity. I just pray for protection, that you would be glorified. Father, just guide us now so that we might be able to walk with you Today, this next week, this this year, that again, we would finish strong in Christ's name. Amen.